Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your home devotion and prayer may be obtained by clicking on page 12 of the catalog at nelsongifts.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. And the fast is upon us. The Phillips fast, as we call it, in many parts of the eastern lung of the church, especially if you're on the Julian calendar, the fast for Christmas, the penitential preparatory period leading up to the great feast of the Incarnation, in other words, the nativity of our Lord, God and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh, that fast, that preparatory period, which is penitential, is now upon us. It begins on November 15th, which the evening before was the Feast of St. Philip, and that's why it's called the Philip's Fast. It runs for 40 days. It involves a voluntary discipline of giving up meat and dairy products at least three times a week, increased prayer, and of course, above all, the sacrament of confession, and also increased works of charity. In other words, it's sort of a cleaning house, a pulling back, so as to welcome the coming of the Bridegroom Christ, the coming of our Savior in the flesh. We also have a feast day coming up at the end of this week, and that is the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple, which kind of carries the theme of preparation. She is brought into the temple as a young girl, according to the great tradition, and she was raised in the temple because she herself would become the mystical, the human temple, the mystical tabernacle of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, as he would enter her womb, as we say in the Byzantine church. He whom not even the universe could contain was contained within the womb of a virgin, making her more spacious than the heavens. So I hope your discipline has begun. It'll be very worthwhile. I know it kind of flies in the face of everything else we're told in our culture. We're sort of really up against it because it's just one office party after the other, one Christmas party after the other. It seems like this is a time of accelerated indulgence as you get to Christmas. But in the church, especially in the eastern lung of the church, it's actually the opposite. It's a time of stepping back, of actually giving up, of cleaning out and cleaning up. In other words, making ourselves worthy receptacles for the coming of the Lord. A little bit difficult, I know, but it's very, very rewarding. And Christmas becomes so much more significant then, really on a very personal level. You really enter into, after preparing in the right way, you really enter into the reality of the incarnation. You don't need all kinds of things. It's not about just the gifts and the parties and the good times. Rather, it's about that unbelievable, irreplaceable inner peace knowing that Christ is among us. As we say in the Byzantine church during that time, during the Christmas season, God is with us. And what else really matters? That's the great miracle of the season. Our program here is dedicated to the riches of the eastern lung of the church in relation to the riches of the western lung of the church. And one of those riches is what I refer to as the sacramental worldview. In other words, we look through a prism 
that is based upon mystery. Mystery meaning like sacrament. In the Eastern Church, we use the word mystery. In the West, they prefer the word sacrament. But it means basically this. It means that which is invisible becomes visible through God's own created world, through what he created. And this worldview is the view. It is the view for everything. And when we see everything through this prism of the sacramental, we see it correctly. And this applies even to some of the big issues in our day. This is one of the gifts of the Eastern churches, is that the sacramental worldview can be applied to even the most critical issues in our day, such as the environment. There is a figure in the Eastern Lung of the Church who is a world-class, world-renowned, noted leader in this whole concern over the environment, and he is the ecumenical patriarch, ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew, who is the patriarch of the, basically, of the Greek Orthodox Church. He resides in Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople, which, of course, is the mother, the center the origins of what is now the Byzantine liturgy, the Byzantine church. At that time, it was in the 4th century, the city was called Byzantium, renamed by Constantine to Constantinople. And it produced one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful and greatest Christian churches of all time, called Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom. Unfortunately today, it's simply a museum because there's a long, unfortunate history about how that came to be. But that would actually be the church or cathedral, as it were, of the ecumenical patriarch. And again, he is Orthodox, which means he's part of the Eastern Lung of the Church. I am part of the Eastern Lung of the Church, except I am Eastern Catholic. In other words, I am in communion with the Pope of Rome. The patriarch, Bartholomew, is not in communion with the Pope of Rome or Rome with him. However, he and the Pope, I think, are great friends and do a lot of great work together ecumenically. Well, he was in the United States recently, and one of our listeners was kind enough to send me an article from the Wall Street Journal, and it's called Our Indivisible Environment. This is dated October 26, 2009. It's some comments made by the ecumenical patriarch about this sacramental worldview that we're talking about today on our program as applied to the environment. And this is what he said. Last week, 200 leaders in the environmental movement gathered in New Orleans for the 8th Ecological Symposium organized by the Orthodox Christian Church. Participants included leading scientists and theologians, politicians and policymakers, business leaders and NGOs, environmentalists and journalists. Similar conferences have taken place on the Adriatic, Aegean, Baltic, and Black Seas, the Danube and Amazon rivers, and the Arctic Ocean. This time, we sailed the mighty Mississippi to consider its profound impact on the U.S. and its fate within global environment. Now, the patriarch continues with a very interesting question. It may seem out of character for a sacred institution to convene a conference on so secular an issue. After all, Jesus counseled us to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Climate change, pollution, and the exploitation of our natural resources are commonly seen as a domain not of priests, but rather of politicians, scientists, technocrats, or interest groups organized by concerned citizens. What does preserving the planet have to do with saving the soul? A lot as it turns out. For if life is sacred, so is the entire web that sustains it. Some of those connections, the effects of over-harvesting on the fish populations of the North Atlantic, for example, we understand very well. Others, such as the long-term health impacts of industrialization, we understand less well. But no one doubts that there is a connection and balance among all things animate and inanimate on this third planet from the sun, and that there is a cost or benefit whenever we tamper with that balance. Moreover, just as God is indivisible, so too is our global environment. The molecules of water that comprise the great North Atlantic are neither European nor American. 
The particles of atmosphere by the United Kingdom are neither labor nor Tory. There can be no double vision, no dualistic worldview. Faith communities and non-believers alike must focus on the common issue of the survival of our planet. The natural environment unites us in ways that transcend doctrinal issues. This is not to negate the need for action by nations, both individually and in concert with other nations. Quite the contrary, they are vital. There are in fact many promising developments on the political front, but it would be a mistake to treat human impact on the environment simply as a political issue. Not only does it have a profoundly spiritual dimension, as we have seen, but that spiritual dimension offers a huge additional lever that can be used to motivate our brothers and sisters around the world to take action on the critical issue. This is why we call upon leaders of all faiths to involve themselves and their communities in one of the great issues of our time. Ours is a powerful voice, and our belief in the unity and interconnectedness of all things constitutes a strong argument for immediate action. Is this an issue for Caesar or for God? We believe it must be approached in both its political and spiritual dimensions. Climate change will only be overcome in all of us, scientists and politicians, theologians and economists, specialists and lay citizens, cooperate for the common good. Well, the patriarch has posed a very interesting question, and one that is the point of our program today. And that is, as he says here, that no matter what the issue, even if it seems like a very secular issue, an issue for the United Nations or for global politics, nonetheless, it is the sacramental worldview that will determine whether whatever said issue is approached correctly or not. And this is absolutely true for the environment. You see, the Eastern churches are very, very, very much concerned and actually connected with the environment because our church is very liturgical. It's actually very sacramental. This means that we see all the time God's presence, God revealed through his created order. In a sense, you can't separate the invisible God from his visible creation. He is in his creation. He became incarnate into his creation. And as a result, all of creation connects us with God in varying degrees, which means that the whole earth, in a sense, is sacramental. The earth is the, as one person once called it, the garden of the universe, the garden planet of the universe. And in that sense, it is sacramental, it is sacred. Now, if we adopt this worldview, Think of how we then would approach the environment, not in extremist ways, not according to some agenda. We wouldn't abuse it. We wouldn't overuse it. We wouldn't ignore it. We would approach it in a way that is integrated and balanced. And this is why the faith perspective, the sacramental perspective, is actually critical to the health of the whole world. And as the Eastern churches have particularly strong emphasis on this sacramental approach to the earth, to the environment, to everything. But today we're applying it to the environment. We're going to see more examples of this from our friend, the ecumenical patriarch, as well as some other saints from the Eastern Church when we return on Light of the East. Light of the East will return in a moment. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $10 or more to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... And now, words of wisdom, faith, and mystery from the monk's cell. So there's a lot about our culture that we have no word that can really translate one of the most important terms for the Holy Fathers. The word in Greek, apatheia. That attitude we should have toward everything and everyone. The closest we can come to in English are things like passionlessness or indifference or apathy. And none of these come close to expressing what was for the Holy Fathers an essential condition to our becoming like God, which is to say to our becoming saved. The only way we can really do it in English is by coming at the word apatheia from its opposites. And for the opposite concepts, English has an embarrassing wealth of options. Instead of looking at things with apatheia, we can use them, consume them, acquire them, hoard them, exploit, manipulate. We do all these things to people, to their bodies and to their personalities, to animals, to things, to everything in our experience in this world. We have no word for how to treat things as God commands us to in English. We have no word for apatheia because we have forgotten how to see things as God does. Not insofar as we can use them, but as they are themselves, we have forgotten how to love. That's why he's come to us in his church, in his church services, in his sacraments, through prayer, through fasting, through acts of mercy and love. By all these, God trains us and retrains us to see everything as he does, so that we can live with him, like him, unto the ages of ages. I'm Father Maximus Hokilios. The monks of Holy Resurrection Monastery, Newberry Springs, California, can be found at www.hrmonline.org. And now back to Light of the East. Welcome back to our program, Light of the East. And I want to just take a moment here to acknowledge some of our listeners, especially our good friend and constant supporter, Mr. William Radovich, and also Joan Larson. Thank you to both of you for your constant support and listenership of this program, Light of the East. We really appreciate it for all your support, but above all, for listening to us. We mentioned that the ecumenical patriarch, he is the patriarch of the Greek Orthodox Church. 
In other words, a leader, a church leader in the eastern lung of the church. And he is a world-renowned environmentalist. But he comes from, as the whole eastern lung of the church does, he comes from a long tradition of saints who had much to say about the sacramental worldview as applied to the planet Earth, to our environment. There's a book called How to Plant a Sacred Tree, Reflections on Faith and Creation with Ephraim the Syrian. This is by Jack Phillips, How to Plant a Sacred Tree. And in the book, Jack refers to the great Syrian saint Ephraim. And Ephraim had a lot to say about nature, about our liturgical approach to nature. And in the book, the author Jack Phillips says this, Planting a sacred tree is a liturgical act, a creative work. Our creativity is all we have to offer, because the earth belongs not to us but to God. For Ephraim, this liturgy and the book of Genesis reveal the Creator. Here's what St. Ephraim wrote. In his book, Moses described the creation of the natural world so that both nature and scripture might bear witness to the Creator. Nature, through man's use of it. Scripture, through his reading of it. These are the witnesses which reach everywhere. They are to be found at all times, present at every hour, confuting the unbeliever who defames the Creator. And in another passage, Jack says this, Eastern worship is sensual. It draws the whole person into prayer through song, smell, taste, chant, brilliant images, and rich text. This is a liturgical anthropology that sees the human person as priestly in nature, participating in divine life through creation. It celebrates the incarnation of God in the mystery of creation, poetically, creatively, ritually, and sensually. St. Ephraim writes, Paradise surrounds the limbs with its many delights, the eyes with its handiwork, the hearing with its sounds, the mouth and the nostrils with its taste and sense. Blessed is the person who has gathered for himself the company of all who have kept vigil and fasted. They, in return for their fasts, shall delight to gaze upon its luxurious pastures. Now, in that brief poem from the great Saint Ephraim, the great Eastern Saint, he talks about the balance, which is very relevant to today, especially the time that we're in, this preparation for Christmas, of how fasting, how pulling back, actually helps us to, in a sense, move forward into a greater appreciation of nature, of the things of the earth that God has given us. You know, sometimes when we pull back from things, this is the wisdom of fasting in the church, both East and West. When we pull back from these things, we can get a better perspective, a more objective perspective. We can see things more holistically. We can appreciate them more, discover all their different dimensions, so that we can come back at those things with a renewed vision, a renewed sort of, in a sense, love for them. In other words, a renewed vision that is sacramental, whether it's food, the things of the earth, or another human person. And in fact, it is our view of the human person, a sacramental view of the human person, that will affect how we approach things like the environment. And this is why issues such as the environment, actually, quite frankly, all issues, ought to be in the hands of the church. That's right. Because this earth was not made for politicians and bureaucrats and so on. It was made by God for us to see and revel in sacramentally. And it is the church that does that, the church that sees life that way and teaches and participates in that one basic reality. And it's the job of the church, as Pope Benedict XVI is forever reminding us, it's the job of the church to help politicians, bureaucrats, ecologists, environmentalists, whoever. It's the job of the church to try to impart to them, invite them into 
this worldview, this sacramental way of seeing all of life, in this case, applied to the environment. When you do, your reasoning powers are more clear. They're more beneficial. In other words, the church is there to help inform, give input into the reasoning process of the political sphere. And that input that the church gives is dramatically illustrated in the eastern lung of the church. It is that sacramental view to everything. The ecumenical patriarch says this in a wonderful book called Encountering the Mystery. And he said this, In recent years, we have learned some important lessons about caring for the natural environment. However, we have also learned that environmental action cannot be separated from human relations. What we do for the earth is intimately related to what we do for people, whether in the context of human rights, international politics, poverty, social justice, or world peace. It has become clear to us that the way we respond to the natural environment is directly related and reflected in the way we treat human beings. The willingness of some people to exploit the environment as the flesh of the world goes hand in hand with their willingness to ignore human suffering in the flesh of our neighbor. By analogy, willingness to respond to the needs of creation and our neighbor reflects our willingness to respect the commandments of God. This is precisely why in the 4th century, St. John Chrysostom underlined the universal application of Lord's Prayer. Indeed, by praying to our Father in heaven, we also embrace a universal, even global vision of the world. For Christ asks us to implore, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. St. John Chrysostom points out that Christ does not say, Thy will be done in me or even in us, but everywhere on earth. You see, what the ecumenical patriarch is pointing out in his book, and again it's called Encountering the Mystery, it is published by Doubleday, copyright 2008. Wonderful book. I highly recommend it to really get a grasp of this Eastern spirituality, this sacramental worldview. But what he's saying in here is that the beginning of everything is the view we take to the human person. This is something was echoed in another favorite of mine, John Paul II, in his Theology of the Body. John Paul II was trying to get the same point across for us today, for the modern world, where the way we see each other as man and woman, woman to man, is how we will actually then interface with all the rest of reality. Why is this? Because the human person is a microcosm of the universe. This is why when God incarnated himself, yes, he infused himself into all creation, but specifically he came as a human person. He didn't come back as a dog or a rock or even a star in the sky. He came back as a human person. Why? Because he knew, because he created everything, that all of creation was summed up in the human person. So if he could become human while remaining God, he would actually be bringing together within himself all of creation. And so what happens between human beings to the human person and between human persons determines then the rest of reality, whether it's the environment, it's the economy, other hot-button issues like healthcare today crime, social justice, poverty, whatever it is, unless we begin with a sacrament of view of the human person, we don't approach those things correctly. We don't approach them fruitfully. Have you noticed how much difficulty our government is having currently with coming up with a so-called health care package, a health care plan? There's a whole lot of head scratching going on, a whole lot of bickering and back and forth and tug of war, and nothing really seems to be happening substantially. Why is that? Because Healthcare has to do with the human person. 
And if we want a good healthcare package, we want anything, whether it's the environment, the economy, healthcare, we start with the sacramental view of the human person. What does the human person need? Why are we human? What does the human person reveal? How do we reveal God? How do we reveal the whole created order? Learn about the human person from a sacramental viewpoint. And from there, you can then step out into the other and all, any disciplines of life, and approach those disciplines much more fruitfully, much more honestly. In particular, as we're talking about today, the environment. And I'm proud to say that one of the lead people in the world today is someone who comes from the Eastern lung of the church, who's taking the Eastern liturgical anthropology, the Eastern spirituality, and putting it out front there in front of the whole world as a guiding light on how to approach something that seems to be so secular an issue as the environment. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, CatholicRadioInternational.com.